is Pull Yourself Together with E. Shaver Booksellers. Hello, I'm Jessica, a lifelong lover of books, wide-ranging reader, fan of obscure British literature, all things Douglas Adams, long sentences, music biographies, the Oxford comma, always up for travel, except during COVID, and of course, Jane Austen. And I'm Melissa, an eclectic bibliophile and all-around nerd who also loves Jane Austen, comics, and cooking. Together, we run an independent bookstore in Savannah, Georgia. Each episode, we discuss the books we've been reading and recommend. Well, hi, everybody. Hey. So we're here kind of pretty much when we said we were going to be. Yeah, in a timely manner. Look at us. (laughs) Very exciting. Uh, I will admit I've not read quite as many books as I would like to to discuss this, but we are coming up on the holiday seasons. Mm-hmm. Seasons. Um, yes, Thanksgiving, <laughs> Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa. The all, seasons of holiday. <laughs> yes, all of the seasons of holiday. <laughs> um, we also, um, because of the seasons of holiday, have hired a bunch of new bright, shiny booksellers at the mm-hmm. shop. So there's been some training going on. Um, and that's very exciting. It's always nice to have new members of the Pride. <laughs> it is. It really is. We, um, yes, and we. I think we've got some really excellent booksellers this season. Yeah. So, so if you, um, you know, are in Savannah and you need book recommendations, we've got some people who can do that for you. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're not in Savannah and need book recommendations, that's what Jessica and I are here for. Yes, <laughs> we can do that. Although this will be a shorter list, but yeah, but, and then will, um, will we do a holiday? I think maybe one right before Christmas mm-hmm. for some last-minute Christmassy ideas. It may not be... Um, Anything super new. Yeah, but, yes. but it, it may be some things that maybe people haven't thought of as holiday mm-hmm. gifts. So, That's so right. That could be fun. Yes. Well, um, okay. should we dive right in? Yeah, um, I'm going to go first, if that's cool. Oh, sure. Um, So I am not a huge nonfiction reader, generally. I will pick one up every now and then and kind of read it in conjunction with whatever novel I'm reading at the time. Um, But I do have a um, very um, deep and weird love of everything dealing with, like, the American Revolution Mm -hmm. and the Revolutionary War and... We've talked about my problem with Thomas Jefferson. (laughs) I still maintain it's not a problem. Um, Anyway, um, so Nathaniel Philbrick has a new book out. It came out last month um, called Travels with George in Search of Washington and His Legacy. Oh, oh, I want to raise my hand. Yes. So some of that takes place... In Savannah. In Savannah, in, in our area. Yeah, it does. Um, and actually, I, I'm going to get to that, and it's okay. pretty funny. Um, so what this, this the, the crux of this book is that um, Nathaniel Philbrook is going to recreate George Washington's mm-hmm. inaugural tour around the country that he did when he first became president in yeah. 1789. He he traveled the whole country. Like he went. It was smaller then. Yeah. Well, yes, it was smaller yes. then, and he didn't go to every every uh, city or town. But he did make a a nice tour of the country, um, and so. 
it's sort of it, so it's that, but it's also sort of an ode to travels with Charlie, mm-hmm. um, the John Steinbeck book, because he does take his dog Dora along mm-hmm. for the ride. He also takes his wife Melissa. Well, what kind of dog is Dora? Dora is a red Nova Scotian duck tolling retriever. Oh, those are beautiful dogs. Yes, but Dora is also a young dog, so oh. she's very exuberant, full um, of the beans, but but very well behaved along this mm-hmm. uh, journey. I must say, um, and and very beloved by all the people she came in contact with. Um, so they st- so Philbrook and his wife and Dora um, stop mm-hmm. at kind of all the important places that Washington stopped um, on his tour, and it's told sort of anecdotally, um, almost like a travel memoir slash history. Mm-hmm. Um, so once they get to a place, he kind of talks about the myths about what happened while Washington was there and some of the sort of like larger myths about the tour in general, like Mm -hmm. there's like basically every single town that he went to, you know, Washington was said to have made the speech about how he's only a man. And like, I mean, so there's a whole bunch of different, and there was a whole lot of George Washington slept here. Yes. Yes, Mm -hmm. definitely. Which he couldn't have slept in that many places. No, no. no. Um, so there, so he talks about those kind of things and sort of like, mm, probably Mm not. Um, so he also dips into like the struggles that Washington was facing um, as the leader of a new nation and trying to hold the nation mm-hmm. together. Um, he does not gloss over the flaws of the founding fathers. Um, I think it's very interesting that he full on confronts them. Um, he had there were like I have read pretty much every book that comes out about the the mm-hmm. Revolutionary War. Um, and I found new information in this book. There was some interesting stuff about Washington and dealing with um, the slaves that he and Martha owned mm-hmm. um, because the slaves that they held were actually part of her estate from her husband. Mm-hmm. He was not the one who was in Fair. control of whether or not they could be mm-hmm. freed. Um, there's... There are some times where you you know you reading this, it it definitely dispels the the myth that these were like godlike figures. These yeah, were men no. making choices, and mm-hmm. some of them were not great. Um, but I think it was interesting that at the time that he wrote this, um, which was um, two thousand. 18, I mm-hmm. believe it's the part where he was in Savannah because it was um, during St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> he didn't realize that Savannah, St. Patrick's Day was a thing. So he arrived in Savannah for his, that part of the book Which on St. Patrick's um, Day. So raise your hand if you've been to Savannah for St. Patrick's Day. Oh, Raising yes. hands. Okay. <laughs> so Savannah, if you don't know, if you're not um, listening from our general area, Savannah has the second largest St. Patrick's Day celebration in the United States. Mm -hmm. So I think Chicago is first. Yeah, ours is actually bigger than Boston's, which is... And bigger than New York's parade as well. We have a huge St. Patrick's Day um, parade. And it takes over all of this downtown part of the city. I mean, like the parade basically shuts down the city for the day, but... The amount of tourists oh, that are in town and go and, on for a week. Yeah, it's it, there's there's practice leading up to it. There's recovery after it. Mm-hmm. It's a whole it's a whole thing. Think of a green 
Mardi Gras. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Pretty much. Pretty much. Um, yeah. So it is, um, yeah, that he found anywhere to stay is amazing. Yeah. He apparently got the last room that was available in Savannah. Um, yeah. But the thing that I liked best about it um, mm-hmm. is that because because we're living in such a contentious time and mm-hmm. the country is more divided than it has been in a long time, mm-hmm. um, it did give me the feeling that, you know, there is common ground, even when it seems like there isn't common ground between mm-hmm. people. Um, and that, you know, really the differences that we have are not so insurmountable that we, we should we we should not be able to function as a nation. So, I mean, yes. it's, it. there are times when I definitely don't feel like that's true. <laughs> but reading this book, I, I did get that feeling. And mm-hmm. that, that was that was nice. Um, yeah. So Travels with George. Um, and if you are in the Savannah area and are looking for a um, a good Christmas present for people who like nonfiction or mm-hmm. somebody that's kind of more difficult to buy for. We're doing book bundles at the store for yes. the first time. And this is in our nonfiction book bundle with um, a couple mm-hmm. of other good nonfiction titles. So. Absolutely. So yeah, we're trying to make Christmas shopping as easy as possible for everyone this mm-hmm. year. I can't believe we're already talking about it because normally I am a strict not until after Thanksgiving, but this year is of course different. Yeah. So yes, and 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 we're not trying to harp on this. I you know, but you all have heard all about supply chain issues. It's a real thing. Just yeah, just fair. know that if you're looking for something specific for Christmas for a present, it may be hard to find if you don't look early. Yes. Or yes. Yes. <laughs> it's all true. Yeah. Um, so apparently, I'm on a um, reading sad sort of memoirs and fictionalized memoirs about people's parents dying, because last time I talked about Gabriel Garcia Marquez mm-hmm. and um, his son's book about the death of him and his wife, mm-hmm. um, and this time I read The Swimmers, um, which doesn't come out until March. Um, and Jess talked about that a she, little bit. She when talked she about was here it last a little time. bit, um, and she had put it in front of me, and um, and she was absolutely correct. I loved it, um, <laughs> although it did make me cry on an airplane. Um, so it's by Julie Otsuka. And she wrote, um, and you'll be familiar with um, some of her other works, she wrote The Buddha in the Attic, mm-hmm. which was a finalist for the National Book Award in 2011. And I think it won in 2012 the Penn Faulkner Award for fiction. Um, so, and she's also, she was, she's just brilliant. And she, mm-hmm. Guggenheim Fellowship, and um, her first novel was When the Emperor Was Divine, which was in 2003. Um, so she she writes very literary fiction, and this book is, it starts out um, about, really the main character is a pool. There is an underground pool, and um, I believe it's in California, where this group of people go and swim, and it's uh, kind of a very particular... Um, Pool. Like, it's not above ground. It's underground. There are no frills. It's just for swimmers, mm-hmm. serious swimmers. And they all have their lanes, and they all have their different styles. And a crack develops in the pool. And 
they kind of notice it, but it seems like it's nothing at that point. And so they all keep to their routines in their lives. And it goes into kind of the different lives of the swimmers who only know each other through the pool. Mm -hmm. So they have like the people who swim in the fast lane, the people who swim in the medium lane, the people who swim in the slow lane, the people who are more aggressive swimmers, the ones who swim first thing in the morning. Anyway, it makes you think a lot about swimming, which I thoroughly enjoyed. But it starts getting smaller. The focus of the book gets smaller. And we come to Alice, who is a swimmer, and this is her routine. And when she's in the pool, her memory is clear, but it becomes apparent that outside of the pool, she is losing her memory. Mm. And so when the pool closes, this is a real blow for Alice. And... um, Ultimately, she ends up being put in a memory care facility. And they talk about it all. The author sort of narrates it in a way where you actually kind of hear Alice's point of view and what she's thinking and what she can remember, what she can't remember, and her husband's and then her daughter who is taking care of her. And they've had a somewhat fraught relationship. And it's it's really one of the, the more poignant, realistic... Um, meditations on what it's like to watch someone decline Mm -hmm. and what it's like to be the person who's declining and um, and and the hole it leaves in the end and the the just the the slow losing of someone it's a small book, right? Like it's, it's a, a small very, book. Yeah, it's it's dense and small, and mm-hmm. the first half of it really is kind of a meditation on the pool and mm-hmm. all the different swimmers and what it means to them, and then it really flips, and it's it's all about Alice and her um, family, and you learn that Alice was in an, a Japanese internment camp, mm. and that seems to be something that plays into several of her books. <laughs> it does, um, yes, yeah. and. Um, and it is really the story of, I think, the a, flick, a fictionalized version of the story of the decline of her mother. Mm. And um, but it it's it's just beautifully done. The writing is poignant, and um, and it did it it really did make me you know cry, tear up several times on the. I think plane. you're tearing up I now. Know, I am. It was. Um, <laughs> so I don't know why I've been on a um, sort of tear of reading these books. Um, but I, uh, when this book comes out in March, I, I hope it will be well-received. I think it's beautifully written and very well done. And um, if you're looking to kind of explore someone else's feelings on this, um, I just always find it nice to read about other people's experiences with grief, especially with their par- mm-hmm. parents, um, because it makes me feel less alone. And, yeah, you know, I, I think there's kind of a club of people who have lost their family, and people um, lost like they just wandered off. <laughs> well, sometimes, <laughs> sometimes they do. <laughs> but people who um, have living parents and people who do not have living. Parents. I was. It's interesting because I I don't know why I was actually thinking about that today, but it is. Um, until you've lost one of your parents, you have no idea like what what that is and how that affects you and it it just and it affects you you know for the rest of your life yeah you don't ever really get past it I mean and it's yeah and it's weird things that will trigger it it's just a a weird thing so I guess maybe I'm um re-exploring my feelings about (laughs) all of it um but I I do 
highly recommend when it comes out Julie Os- Osaka, Otsuka? Osuka's <laughs> book, The Swimmers. Um, and it, it certainly will be available for pre-order if you um, want to make sure you get a copy of it. But it is coming out March 22nd. All right. Um, well, I, so I know I started this by saying that I don't mm-hmm. read a lot of nonfiction, and this is a <laughs> second nonfiction book. So I, I really am not a liar. I don't read a lot of nonfiction. Mm-hmm. It just happened to mm-hmm. uh, like to be the perfect storm. Um, so the next one I want to talk about is actually one of my favorite authors, um, and I just devour everything that he writes, um, and I've devoured everything that he's written for for years now, like mm-hmm. from like columns in Rolling Stone yeah. to like his his essays, his fiction. Um, so it's Chuck Klosterman, and yes, he, um, some of you may be familiar with him. He did Sex, Drugs, and Cocoa Puffs. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably his best known book. Um, but he has a new book coming out called The 90s. And um, if you've ever listened to me talk or you met yeah. me, you know. Melissa grew up <laughs> in the 90s yeah. and loves all things. All things 90s. 90s. Um, it's just, it's what I do. Yeah. Um, so this book actually comes out in February. Um, so it's available for pre-order as well. Um, so this is just a collection of essays talking about various things throughout the 90s. Um, and he does them as a... It's interesting, the the setup for it is, like, a longer essay, and then there's kind of, like, a short sort of three-page essay mm-hmm. about something else. Um, but it... Honestly, it was just catnip for me. Mm-hmm. Like, I loved every minute of this book. Um, it made me want to rewatch all my favorite 90s movies and listen to all my favorite 90s music more than <laughs> I do already. Um, but <laughs> um, Jessica and I are both Gen X. Um, we're, at, we're, we're bookends for Gen X. Yes. The, the small... The small but mighty Gen X. The small, um, mighty, and often forgotten Gen X. Yes. yes. But... but it was interesting because reading this book, it put me, it put me back in the mm-hmm. '90s, and just, and it made me look at some things differently because I was younger during a lot of right. these things. Um, well, I so a discussion that Melissa and I had was about Reality Bites, uh-huh. which is one of my favorite movies, <laughs> and I feel like it's one of the only true Gen Z representative Gen movies. X, Gen yeah. X, yeah. Gen well, Z. which is one of the Plenty things of he Gen was Z. talking Sorry. about, yeah. like how the it Gen is X. it is a hundred percent the like, essence of Gen X. Every time <laughs> it comes on, I'll call my. I'm like, this is what this is what I mean. Like, and, yeah, and so there's a. a point about it that I had never considered and it is absolutely crystal clear to me who the hero of the story is but apparently (laughs) not to any other generation yeah okay so if you haven't seen reality bites there are going to be some spoilers yes and we're sorry for that but but you I mean, should have seen it by it's now. It's been Come out on. for a really long time, yeah, so at this okay. point, if you haven't watched it, that's on you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but right. anyway, Winona Ryder is the main character, and mm-hmm. she has graduated from college and is just kind of floundering. And she's yeah. got a group of friends who are sort of floundering, floundering as too. well. Um, yes. uh, one is, like, Janine Garofalo, mm-hmm. who is very, like, I 70s throwback. Yes. Um, and then Ethan Hawke is oh, just the slacker musician poet. poet. He's got some rough family stuff yeah. going on. He's, 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 he's that the, guy. Yeah. 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 We all know that guy. Yeah. Um, but there's... 
there's sort of a there's sexual tension between mm-hmm. Winona Ryder and Ethan Hawke. They're not together. No. She starts dating a character played by Ben Stiller, who, who is a yuppie. He is a yuppie, but he is a grown-up who has a job mm-hmm. and he's very together. Um and there ends yeah. up being this love triangle situation between Ethan Hawke, Winona Ryder, and Ben Stiller. Yeah. And she ultimately chooses to be with the Ethan Hawke character. Which seems the obvious choice. Well, to our generation, it seems the obvious choice. But apparently, anyone from the generation before and anyone from the generation after looks at this movie and is like... Well, of course she should have picked Ben Stiller. Like, Ethan Hawke is verbally abusive and kind of a loser and not going anywhere. And this is a grown-up who has a job and just wants to treat you nicely. Well, nobody wants that. And how that. is that attractive, I, I ask I you. Um, yeah. So, so there's a, there was a discussion about that. There was uh, the obvious discussion about Kurt Cobain and, oh, and yeah. his I don't want to be famous and his... his antagonistic um relationship with um eddie vetter um there there was a (laughs) the one that i thought was kind of the most entertaining was the one where he's talking about sports in the 90s and he made several good points and pointed out several just ridiculous things about sports in the 90s from the college football situation where they didn't have any sort of playoffs to determine the national champion it was like a rando poll that USA Today thought one thing the coaches thought one thing it it was it was just completely ridiculous and no one understood the system and Mm -hmm. looking back on it now it's like yeah why was that a thing um (laughs) He also talks about um, Lance Armstrong and how... Can we not talk about Lance Armstrong? Well, Lance Armstrong and how he sued people who who had the nerve to claim that he used performance-enhancing drugs. Because he used performance-enhancing drugs. And, you know, when it came out later, it was like, oh... Really? Oh, yeah. <laughs> but but then speaking of performance enhancing drugs, y'all remember the the wonder of professional baseball during the 90s when oh. Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa were mm-hmm. fighting for the home run title. Yeah. And we all just thought to ourselves, my God, Mark McGuire has really worked out and has gotten large muscles. And Sammy Sosa is a 30 year old with acne. That's totally normal. And we never thought. Well, wait a minute! No, I had no, acne in my thirties, well, and but, I didn't take steroids. But we never—it never crossed our minds that maybe there was something behind that. It was a kinder, gentler time. We all just well, wanted to be. <laughs> yeah, we wanted things to be simpler, and yeah, we wanted something to believe in. Yeah, we did want something to believe. <laughs> Say it ain't so, Sammy. <laughs> so yeah, yes. So um, if you live through the nineties. And you want to look back on it both mm-hmm. fondly and kind of like, yeah, what oh, was I thinking? Yeah. Like, what, that seem, lo- no. looking back on that now, that seems wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the book for you. It's simply called The 90s the by 90s. Chuck Klosterman. Yes. Yes. Very good. Well, I'm going to talk about something um, pretty much completely different. Okay, perfect. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, um, it's actually a book that I've loved um, since I first read it years ago, it's called The Door, and it's by Hungarian writer Magda Szabo. Yeah, you're, you're, that is, in fact, completely different. Yes. <laughs> it was originally published in Hungary in 1987, um, so it's not even in the 90s decade, yeah. but it's close. Um, 
but it was translated in English in 1995, so it did make it over here during the 90s. Oh, so, so, it, it, like, so there is some common some ground. Common ground. <laughs> um, but I read it when it was published again in 2005, um, and I guess it was a British publication, but that was when it first came to my attention. Mm. And um, it's, it's just, um, I, I know I say this a lot because I love literary fiction, but the writing in this book is beautiful. It's told from the point of view of a narrator that you don't really even know her name, but she is the wife. Um, well, first of all, a couple of things. I didn't know a lot about sort of more modern Hungarian history. Um, uh, well, I'm going to go ahead and say that's not really surprising. That's not something we're, it, it, we're taught. <laughs> as a rule, no. And so I found it interesting um, about communism and the um, intellectual, intellectual class and and kind of how they were living their lives. And um, th so the novel begins with Magda, who's the narrator, um, recounting this recurring dream she has. And you find out that um, she has, she's married to an intellectual, and she is an intellectual, and um, her husband is, works a lot and has some health issues. She's in a situation where she needs to hire a housekeeper. Okay. And her housekeeper's um, name is Emirates, and I'm probably mispronouncing that because my Hungarian is not up to speed. Um, well, we'll, we'll allow it this time. And so she starts out with, I killed Emirates, and then the rest of the book is kind of going back and looking at what she means by that. Interesting. And... So they, for years, they kind of have this work relationship where they don't really know much about her. I mean, she knows Emirates is kind of an eccentric, and she helps all kinds of people around town. She lives in a building that she won't let anybody in her home or behind the door, mm -hmm. and that's kind of a mystery, too. Uh, sometimes it's nice to have work-life balance. <laughs> yes, so they have, <laughs> yes. Um and she's elderly, and she she really does have some sort of... And they've all lived through World War II, mm. and they've lived through the occupation. And, mm -hmm. um, and then um, Magda's husband becomes ill, and she he has to have a serious operation. And she doesn't really tell Emirates about it at all. And Emirates finds out, and she's furious. And, like, why didn't you tell me this is one of the more important things that could have ever happened in your life? I would have been here for you. And um, and so Magda thinks their relationship is kind of blown at this point. And then Emirates comes back and like brings her this mulled wine and food and takes care of her while she's taking care of her husband. Mm -hmm. And they end up having a closer relationship. And it's interesting because it's two women from very different points of life navigating this relationship. But they also have some shared you know, experiences because of the war mm -hmm. and the trauma that they've been through. So ultimately, I mean, um, yeah, they just, they get to know each other and it's just such a, a interesting and beautiful relationship. Like they end up adopting, they find this starving puppy, the couple, mm -hmm. and they adopt it and think they'll nurse it back to health and then give it to someone else. And, um, and Emirates, who who's ever adopted a puppy well, thinking they'll nurse it back to health and give like, it to someone? Emirates else? 
falls in love with this dog. And yeah. so, of course, they end up keeping the dog. And then, ultimately, um, her health starts failing. Emirates' health stop, starts failing. And without giving away too much, um, you find out what she's keeping behind the door. And it's just very sad. Like, it's just... <laughs> I guess I like sad books. It's just, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's very sad. Um, and ultimately Magda ends up kind of betraying her because they have to, she tricks her into letting her in the apartment because she needs to get healthcare workers in there. And once they see what's going on in the apartment, they take her to a hospital and she ends up dying in the hospital. Um, oh, spoiler. I know, spoiler. <laughs> um and so, but it, there's so much more to it than that. I mean, you're not really reading the book for the mystery. You're really reading the book for the relationship between the two women. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it really turns out that Emirates like takes care of her whole neighborhood and she takes care of the building she lives in and she does all these good deeds around town. And um, yeah, so it's, it's just a, um, it's a story where things happen slowly and quietly mm-hmm. um, and they're, like everyday life things, you find out that Emirates has um, saved a child uh, from the Nazis at one point, and um, and that she has like this very fine furniture that she's been saving for years in a room that she never opens, and there's there's just a lot of interesting facts about her. Okay. Um, so I, if you like a good literary fiction, if you like good literary fiction, um, and you like kind of living in a, a world in a country that you've never expanded, like I don't know a whole lot about like Eastern European Mm-mm. countries. So I find the writing there fascinating. Um, mm-hmm. Kind of just like um, drive your plows over the bones of the dead. Mm-hmm. Is that the name yeah. of it? Yeah. Um, I, I loved the very Eastern European, but not quite Russian point of view. Okay. So. Well, then I'm going to go somewhere really completely different, <laughs> and there there's not going to be anything that's going to tie these together. Um, okay, so pretty much from the moment my husband and I first met each other um, working at a bookstore together. Mm-hmm. He has been after me to read this next book. Um, and God love him. He's such a nerd. Um, so <laughs> the book was um, Heir to the Empire, and it is the first book in the Thrawn trilogy mm-hmm. um, by Timothy Zahn that is, in fact, a Star Wars book. And um, it is from back in the day when, like, these Star Wars books were fast and furious coming out and Mm -hmm. everything had to, like, meet with, like, George Lucas's approval. I feel like it still does, but, like, there was a whole big discussion about what's canon and what's not canon in Star Wars, and I'm not sure where this one fell in there. So I'm showing my my ignorance on the subject. Yes, But... I finally read it. And? And I actually thoroughly enjoyed this book. Um, So from the standpoint, you know, like when Jessica and I talk about the books that we read in the Jane Austen Mm -hmm. book club, it's very similar to that kind of thing. Because this happens 
after um, Return of the Jedi, this is when they're building the New Republic, and Mm -hmm. Leia and Han are married. She's pregnant with twins. Um, Luke is um, a Jedi master at this point, I guess. I mean, I guess he can call himself a master. There's no other Jedis to to tell him he's not. Yeah. So, um, um, Is and it the same really though? <laughs> I'm the master. <laughs> I, I think if there's no one to say you're not, it's fair. Um, <laughs> fair game. Okay. So they are, there's, there's a little more to the politics of what's going on in trying to build this new Republic. And um, Leia's doing a lot of diplomatic things. She's also learning um, to use the force as well because she is a Jedi as well. Um, yeah. because Although not a master. Not a master. Um, but Luke is teaching her. And that's that kind of comes into play. Like Luke isn't sure that he is qualified to teach people Mm -hmm. um to be a jedi because he's so new to this himself and he knows that it's also that leia's twins are also going to be um jedis jedis because he can sense them already with the force so that's Uh, how he knows that they're going to be force users yes he's like (laughs) they don't kick they send out force lightning um i kid but um so he can, he can sense them, and he knows that it's going to come down to him to teach them the ways of the Force as well. And so he's he's a little nervous about that. that that's causing him some issues. Um, so one of the things that the New Republic is coming up against is um, they don't have enough transport ships to get to all the planets that they need to get to to take supplies to people because Mm -hmm. the empire has fallen and they need to bring all these planets into the republic um and so one of their plan is that they're going to recruit smugglers Mm -hmm. to help them with this and of course you who do you who do you send to recruit smugglers but Um, your good friend han um So he is trying to um, get in contact with the guy who's sort of taken over the the void that Jabba mm-hmm. has left now that Jabba is yeah. no longer in the picture. No. <laughs> um, no. And so his name is Talencard, which is such a such a Star Wars name. Mm-hmm. Um, but he has as his kind of right hand a woman named Mara Jade, and she hates Luke. Mm-hmm. But we don't really know why. Uh oh! It comes out at the end, and it's actually kind of an interesting twist. And there's okay. there's some there's some personality things in there. You're um, not going to spoil no, it. No, no, no. Like I'm not I did gonna, the last. No, book, I'm not yeah. going <laughs> to tell you. You're going to have to read it. Mm-hmm. Um, but but the true hero of this book mm-hmm. is Grand Admiral Thrawn. So Grand Admiral Thrawn is a Grand Admiral of the Empire, and he... Was he the one in the movie? Was Thrawn in the movie? That kind of looked... He's blue. Yeah. Okay, I don't... Blue and and a little bit... I think think he's... Fish-like? I think Thrawn might have been in The Mandalorian. Okay. I think I don't think he was in any of the movies okay. yet. Um, yeah, but, I, but I, I haven't watched The Mandalorian. Mm, fair. Um, anyway, okay. <laughs> I'm bad at Star Wars. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. I'm not a Star Wars expert. Um, so. But anyway, so Grand Admiral Thrawn. Um, he's actually pretty fascinating. He um, he has this secret part on this sh- on the like Star Destroyer that he's on. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and it's an ever-changing art gallery. And he use, it's holographic art, hmm. but he learns about his enemies by studying their art, um, which I think is actually kind of interesting. A, a really fascinating thing. And it makes complete sense to me why Tim loves this book. Mm-hmm. Like that, I was like, oh, well, okay, <laughs> obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he learns about his enemies and then, and, and what, how they'll react to situations by studying their art. And he is actually very, very good at this. Um, so he is trying to bring back the empire. Um, and so this is the first book where he, and his first introduction into kind of the star Wars universe. Mm-hmm. And he is a very beloved character amongst mm-hmm. star Wars nerds. Yeah. Um, and apparently, like, there's a couple of new books that feature Thrawn, mm-hmm. and he's kind of painted in a sort of different light. Like, he's almost painted like a good guy. He is not a good guy. He is deliciously evil in the okay. best possible way. Um, but this is the first in a trilogy, and it kind of leaves you mm-hmm. hanging. hanging because you there's some machinations, and it has a satisfying conclusion to it, but, but there's the, the bigger arc of what's the, going the to happen. The trilogy is out there. Yeah, the trilogy. Oh, the yeah, this has covers. been out. Like, these have been out since the 90s. They, um, they have new covers. Yeah, they just re-released them. Mm-hmm. This is the first time they've been available in trade paperback, yeah. which, is, again, is why I decided to read them, because well, I hate mass markets, and yeah. I just don't like reading them. So when they finally <laughs> released the trade, I was like, I'll read it now. Okay. <laughs> so... So if you just, it, it's, it's just good fun. Yeah. It's just fun to be back in the world of characters that you enjoy. They're written in a mm-hmm. way that it feels like the characters, you know, um, Han and Lando hanging out together and their shenanigans. I mean, come on. Dudes. It's good. Dudes. They're dudes doing dude stuff. <laughs> it, it really, it, if you like, and by saying dudes doing dude stuff, we don't mean boys will be boys. No, no, no. This so is just different. don't ever misunderstand that. No, this is more like Lando's gonna wear a cape and yeah. just accept that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, yeah, if you just want something fun, you like Star Wars and haven't dipped into these. Maybe you've been like, you know what? I like Star Wars, but I'm not gonna be the guy that reads those books. Just do it. It's yeah, fun. It's fun. It's a it's, good time. It's Bridgerton for nerds. I, yes. <laughs> Bridgerton is also for nerds, but anyway, yes. It's a different kind of nerd. Anyway, so yes, um, Heir to the Empire, the first in the Thrawn trilogy by Timothy Zahn. Okay, so I guess now um, we can talk about a couple of books that we've both read. Yes. Some books that we've read recently for um, book clubs. Um, Do you want to start with... A Time to Kill? A Time to Kill, sure. Okay, so um, Art to Kill a Mockingbird Book Club does classics, and I'm using classics in air quotes because mm-hmm. classic is such a subjective term. Right. Um, but not necessarily literary classics, but classics like books that are in the canon that most people have read or yeah. know about. Yeah, yes. um, and so A Time to Kill by John Grisham um, is his, actual, his very first novel, mm-hmm. um, at the time it was published, um, it had a very small print run, and then he wrote The Firm, and The Firm mm-hmm. took off, and A Time to Kill was subsequently republished. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I read this first um, right after The Firm came out, and I saw mm-hmm. the movie, and I was like, ooh, I enjoyed that. And so then I read... Yeah. All of his books. And I started with The Firm, and I am not sure I 
I think I read this one at one point, but I never saw the movie. Um, so <laughs> I, I'm going to go back and watch the movie. I, I haven't yet. I had seen the movie uh, when mm-hmm. it first came out, and I rewatched it after the book club. And oh, there's there's <laughs> nothing quite like a young McConaughey. Yeah, <laughs> um, it's true. Well, I look forward to it. Um, but if you're not familiar. Um, mm-hmm. John Gresham usually writes um, lawyer or courtroom thrillers. Mm-hmm. Um, and they take place in Mississippi or in the South most of the mm-hmm. time. This one does take place in Mississippi um, about an hour from um, from Memphis. So, mm-hmm. so like that like part of Mississippi, like Oxford. Oxford-y sort mm-hmm. of area of Mississippi. Yes. Um, the main character... Um, Jake Brigance, who is the lawyer in this, um, had gone to law school at Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. Um, so the the crux of this book, um, it starts out, and it is difficult to read. It starts out with these two redneck white men mm-hmm. picking up a ten year old black girl who had been sent by her mother to get groceries they they pick her up off the side of the road kidnap her mm-hmm. and gang rape her um yeah. and ultimately try to kill her um once they're finished um they throw her body off a bridge um but she's found and she and she survives mm-hmm. um yeah so they're able to identify the two men who did this. They're arrested, um, brought up on charges for mm-hmm. rape, kidnapping, um, and a couple of other charges. Um, when they are leaving the courtroom mm-hmm. after their arraignment, I want to say. Well, it's the bond hearing. Okay, they're bond. So it's yeah, after their bond hearing, um, um, the little girl's father bursts out of a closet and shoots. Both of them with uh, AK forty AK forty um, no. an assault rifle um, of some sort, killing both of the men and wounding a deputy in the yes. process. Um, and so he and then it's pretty graphic. It is very graphic. Um, mm-hmm. I actually the the violence in this is graphic all, on all counts, yeah, like all um, the way through. Yes. Um, and so he is arrested, mm-hmm. and um, the book is really about his trial. his trial. Um, and Jake uh is a young lawyer mm-hmm. who has def- who defended um Carly, who is the man who killed the two guys. Um, right. Defended his brother in a murder trial, I believe, and got him off. Got him off. Um, so he hires Jake to be his lawyer. Um, and it's really kind of about... It goes from there. and The it's, justice system mm-hmm. in the South and what it's like to be a black man on trial for killing two white men in a predominantly white, small Southern town. Yes. Um, but you do go into the backgrounds of the characters to, to some degree, mm-hmm. especially the defendant. And... Um, you know, you find out that he was in Vietnam, that it's, it's, it is an interesting commentary 
on the South, in addition to being an excellent courtroom procedural book. Mm-hmm. So. Um, and it's, it is a product of its time. Um, it's it, definitely a product uh, yeah, of its time. It, it really is. And I don't mean that as criticism for it, because it was he started writing this book in 1984 when he mm-hmm. was a young lawyer. Um, and he finished A Time to Kill in 1987. Okay. And so it was probably published... 88 maybe Mm -hmm. but but late 80s early 90s let's let's just right and he does actually cite harper lee's to kill a mockingbird as an influence on the book right and you can you can kind of see that yeah and that was one of the storyline that was one of the things that i really noticed Mm -hmm. reading it this time that there's kind of a, a kind of a strange parallel between those two stories and it was hard not to compare Jake to Atticus, and they're mm-hmm. very different characters. They are very, very different, different characters. <laughs> um, but we also have to remember that Atticus is being told from his child's, child's perspective, right? Not um, from his perspective. Yes. So, um, um, I will say that um, the language in it is difficult, um, just because the use of the n-word is pervasive like it is every character uses it and they i mean like you can't go like three pages without it being used multiple times well and there's a lot of sort of the um his treatment even though we know from having heard john grisham speak numerous occasions but most recently that he and his wife have this wonderful relationship and she reads his books and gives him advice and Mm -hmm. they work on the title together and he pretty much gives her um, credit as co-writing them almost. Mm -hmm. But in the book, the way he talks about women is just kind of different than the way we would talk about women now. And I think, and I will be um, completely honest and say, I haven't really read one of his books I think the latest one I read by him was The Runaway Jury. Mm-hmm. And I also read Skipping Christmas at some point. But but I haven't read his newer illegal books. I and I, I would imagine that his he, writing has evolved since... To fit the times yes. that we're currently living yeah. in. Um, um, and so, yeah, so I... It's a very compelling story, and mm-hmm. I, it actually made for a really great book club discussion it because did. there's a lot to talk about with this mm-hmm. um, from the standpoint of, um, you know, is it that wrong what he did? Um, right. Was he going to get a fair trial? Um, were those boys going to get off for what they did? Um, you know, it's like there's there's a lot of things well, to we're, discuss. I mean, we're looking at a very similar trial right now going on right around the corner from us. So, um, yeah, so times are not that different. Sadly, um, no, no, they're not. But I would recommend it. I mean, if you want to take a dip back into the past and see that the past is not that far behind us, um, I think a time to kill is a good, a good place yeah, to start. And it, and was, it was very, very um, sobering to realize that he started writing that book in 1984. That's almost 40 years at this point, yes. which that does not seem I like know. that should be a thing. I know. And I would <sighs> definitely recommend this one for book clubs. Yeah, it's a good book and for discussion. I would recommend it for especially, you know, our book club, like many, many book clubs, is made up primarily of women. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that for book clubs that often fall into reading a lot of contemporary women's fiction, that this would be a really nice change of pace. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, and, and really bring up some good discussion points. Yeah. 
Um, um, we're going to switch to a completely different book club now. Right. So our Jane Austen book club, our, our baby. Um, so the book we read for our Jane Austen book club last month was called Jane Fairfax. Yes. Um, and it was by Joan Aiken, which there is a Savannah connection. Joan mm-hmm. Aiken is the daughter of Conrad Aiken, who... Um, is a writer from Savannah. A mm-hmm. lot of his stuff is sadly out of print at this point yes. or only available in collections. He was a poet and a writer yeah. and an essayist and um, had a very strange Savannah history. Mm-hmm. Um, he grew up here. His father killed his mother and then killed himself um, in a house that you can still see. That It's I on actually, Oglethorpe. On <laughs> Oglethorpe Avenue um, that I looked at when I was looking for houses downtown. And then he ended up buying the house next door and living in that house for many years, yeah. which um, is unusual. It is unusual. But um, Savannah is, in fact, an unusual place. Yeah. <laughs> um, and Joan Aiken is a fairly prolific writer. She mm-hmm. um, writes books for children she wrote actually several books that are um jane austen sort of spin-offs um but not many of them are still in print um we were lucky to find this one still in print um this one is um emma Mm -hmm. retold from the perspective of jane fairfax right Um, and melissa and i had both read this book years ago yeah like like probably probably when it first came out yeah like in the 90s for Um, sure before there was as much jane austen sort of um adjacent books yes exactly and i remember really liking it then but there wasn't well you know actually that's not true there always have been sort of regency spinoffs well i mean there's like georgette higher that's always been uh, and then there are people who finished sanditon and yeah the watsons and but i don't feel like there were um there were like the modernizations of Jane Austen no. and the, like the, I, I just, the, I think there's more of them now than, than there right. have been. Um, but I'm not sure this one, it was good. I'm not sure it stood up as well as some of them we've read. I mean, then we, we always are sort of a mixed bag on our Jane Austen um spinoffs we yeah don't, we don't love them all and some of us like some and some well and, yeah. and i mean there were aspects of this one that i enjoyed mm-hmm. um i think my main complaint with this book um reading it again and having read more of these type of books mm-hmm. is that i don't feel like the characters behaved the way that Jane Austen would have written them. Mm -hmm. I felt like there were things that were completely out of character. Well, you know, at the end of Emma, when you read the whole book, you kind of feel that Jane Fairfax and Emma have come to an understanding of one another. And although they may not ever be best friends, that they're, they are on friendly terms and understand like Emma has empathy for Jane Fairfax. Mm -hmm. And And, and they did. Jane understands Emma Moore. They did come to that at the end of this as well. Mm-hmm. Like that was true. Um, but um, the relationship between Frank and Jane in this, mm-hmm. I didn't ever think there would be a time that I would really be sympathetic towards Frank Churchill, but this actually made me more sympathetic towards him than her. Yeah. Um, which I feel is like kind of a weird thing. And it made it seem like, 
she she chose to get engaged to him just kind of as a second choice and that she didn't really care about him and it was better than being a governess. And I can't imagine Jane going through all of the things that she goes through when she comes back to Highbury Mm -hmm. and all of the, like... Drama and The drama, yeah, and the hiding and, and engagement and all of that stress for someone that she doesn't actually care about. And that, that, was, the, that was the part of it that was really difficult for me. And, mm-hmm. and I also felt like there were times... I know Emma is a difficult character. Like, Jane Austen herself said that she wrote a heroine that no one would like. Yes, um, I like Emma. I know, and I like Emma too, um, but... I don't ever feel like Emma is mean. Like that's, I think that she's self-interested and sometimes she doesn't understand. Well, I think she does things that are mean. Yes. But I don't think that she does them out of a spiteful heart or a meanness of spirit. Yes. But her actions are mean but so so this there were times that i thought she was just mean for the sake of being mean and that was kind of my complaint with the new version of the movie of emma that i Mm -hmm. felt that there were times that she was just mean to be mean and i don't think that just isn't how i think of her yeah and in the in the in the new movie i i don't i don't I don't see that as much as her being mean just to be mean. But in this book, there were parts, especially when she was younger, mm-hmm. where I feel like she was maybe meaner and more exclusive than I would have her imagined her actually acting. Mm-hmm. And I thought also thought the relationship, um, like Colonel Campbell in this was just kind of a, Mm-hmm. A weird character. And, and yeah. you don't ever get any of his... I mean, you always kind of... I always thought of the Campbells as kind of benevolent and that they had yeah. a moderate income and they were doing the best they could for Jane. Like, they at least could educate her and give her some advantages no. of life, but they were never going to totally set her up because no. they didn't have the money. No, no, know? no. And I think that that comes across pretty mm-hmm. well in this. I thought that his relationship with his actual daughter oh. was just not yeah. believable to me. Like I, that just no. isn't, it, it just seemed like creating drama for the sake of drama. Like she needed something to be happening behind mm-hmm. the scenes there. And so she just kind of created that. Yeah. Um, it just didn't. Yes. That didn't ring true for me for, for a number of reasons, but yeah. um, I will say, that I think she did a good job of mm-hmm. writing Jane Austen style adjacent without it being clunky and yeah, so, so hard to read. Which is a trick. Yeah. Because um, the one we're reading for this month, which we'll talk about on our next podcast probably, um, I'm finding has a little bit clunkier language. Like she's trying a little too hard to write like Jane Austen or in the time. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas a lot of them we read, they, they somehow manage to get it right. Yeah. I mean, like they write in a modern style that feels 
like Jane Austen style. Like a throwback, but... And it feels more conversational and comfortable, which I always feel Jane Austen's books do to me. I mean, to me, they're just conversational and comfortable, and um, the language, although it is the language of its time, fits in that, like, there's no anomalies in it. Yeah, but it also she's writing contemporaneously in the language, language of, her of her time, time. so it, it just is what it is as opposed to someone coming in you know a hundred years later Mm -hmm. and trying to write in that style which is is not how we speak now and it's it's different um so i think i i will say that for this one i think it did a good job of that Mm -hmm. and it is nice to have a story that is jane austen adjacent um Mm -hmm. that is about a book that is not pride and prejudice because by by far and away when someone does something about Jane Austen, it's always Mr. Darcy or Pride and Prejudice or, you know, Mm -hmm. so it's nice that she branched out and did something (laughs) that wasn't. Has anyone ever done um, a Mansfield Park? Yes, there is one. Really? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And there's only, there's two that I know of that are persuasion. Mm, I'd be scared to mess with persuasion. Well, the one is called Persuading Annie, and it's a very modern, kind of loosely based Mm -hmm. off of persuasion. Um, And if I remember correctly, I've read that, and I actually enjoyed it. Uh, Now, the one we read that claimed to be a riff on persuasion about um, that took place in D.C.? Oh, no, that was Sense and Sensibility. Oh, that was Sense and Sensibility. You're right, because it had nothing of persuasion in it. No. And that would explain why. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Strangely enough. <laughs> it was Sense and Sensibility, yeah. but it wasn't, yes. Yeah. That one, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's always nice to find one that is kind of about one of the mm-hmm. other novels, but I think that because they are less done maybe Mm -hmm. it's easier to kind of find flaws with them yeah i don't know um but it was it was a fun read it was a good read and yeah yeah i mean there i I, honestly i i enjoy the terrible ones just Mm -hmm. as much it like it is just sort of it's just it's fluff and it's fun yeah like I, I admit I like the ones that uh, riff on the books as opposed to the ones that make Jane Austen a character. I don't know. I really liked the one that was about Cassandra that we read. Oh, I did. Well, no. Okay, not. Yes, that was that was kind of different. Yeah. Yeah, the one about Cassandra was good. All well, right, we digress. We, we digress. could go on for hours about this. Yeah, it, it, that's a topic we can talk on for, for a long time. Mm-hmm. And uh, then we just get silly. True enough. <laughs> well, I think that's going to be it then for this time. Um, we, yes. will, we will be back in a few weeks with mm-hmm. um, some ideas for, for those of you that may be struggling with some Christmas present ideas mm-hmm. or Hanukkah presents or Kwanzaa presents or whatever holiday you may celebrate winter solstice you know you do you (laughs) but but books are always the best gift yeah they're they're the things that are always the correct size Mm -hmm. (laughs) and they're easy to wrap it's true they're rectangular there's no weird corners there (laughs) yeah well everybody have a lovely thanksgiving yes enjoy um and for those of you that don't eat turkey that's okay too yeah they're all the sides yeah And let's face it, the sides are the best. Yes, (laughs) absolutely. Um, And we'll talk to you soon. All right, be well. Take care. Bye-bye.